Real quick, some plugs and ways to contact us. Debatablepodcast.tumblr.com. It's our blog, perfect place to stream and download the episodes. Of course, we've got links to iTunes, too. Facebook.com slash debatablepodcast. Go over there and like us. Leave us questions and comments. If you'd like to email us those questions and comments, debatablepodcast at gmail.com. And we are debatablepod on Twitter. I'm still Mr. Greggles, M-I-S-T-E-R-G-R-E-G-G-L-E-S. You can still send us correspondence through there. But debatablepod is our new Twitter. You do know how to spell debatable, don't you? I hope at this point you do. Hey everyone, welcome to the Debatable Podcast. I'm Greg Sadashne. Uh, today on the show we've got Mark Shields, who is a uh, nutrition counselor and fitness trainer. Um, it was important for me to have him on the podcast because he is passionate. He's passionate about nutrition and getting people to change their uh, their outlook on what is correct in uh, in dieting, in exercising. We spend a long time uh, kind of uh, breaking those myths. Um, one note about today's episode, uh, during I think around the 23 minute mark of the actual interview, uh, Mark goes into talking about cholesterol numbers and getting tests from your doctors. Um, at at some point, he starts talking about uh, ratios, uh, HDL to triglycerides. It's actually flipped. In the interview, he says uh, to look out for the ratio of HDL uh, to triglyceride, when actually it's triglyceride to HDL. Um, you'll understand that better when we get into the actual interview, but certainly if you're going to ask your doctor about that test, that's what you want to be uh, looking for. You want to be looking for triglyceride to HDL in the results. Um, a couple things before we get into the, into the interview proper. Um, what the fuck? WTF uh, Pod podcast with um, with Mark Marin is celebrating its 400th episode today, and uh, that's uh, amazing for him. It's amazing that uh, Mark Marin has been able to to make it this far. Uh, great episodes, always a great show. And actually, the reason I bring it up is because it's so influential on why I became a podcaster, and certainly I appreciate. Everything that he does to continue to uh, to make uh, podcasting, uh, refine it and make it better. So he's certainly an idol of mine when it comes to podcasting, and I wanted to just put it out on air. Congratulations to Mark Marin for his 400th episode. Uh, the other thing I want to bring up, just like I had with the Mayor Smith episodes recently, is iTunes reviews. Um, I have been urging people to go over and give us ratings and give us reviews. Uh, take a little bit of time, write something, uh, so that we can get people interested in the show. Go over to iTunes, there's a link in the show notes, or just go over to iTunes if you listen to the show through iTunes, and uh, and take a little time, just write a little bit um, about what you think about the show. It doesn't have to be overwhelmingly positive if you don't think that the show, show's that good. I'm sorry, <laughs> I hope that I could do something more to, to make it better for you. But uh, yeah, go over there. Uh, give us a, an honest review, and please, I mean, this this helps people get interested in the show. It gives us um, it gives us a a, a, a position, a profile um, for people to find the show, especially when it comes to the film and television uh, podcasts. So yeah, uh, today on the show, like I said, Mark Shields, a uh, good friend of mine. I've I've known him since I uh, started at Sport Fit, which is a gym here uh, in Maryland, and uh, he's actually 
actually a very good guy. I'm very close friends with him. And following him on Facebook, uh, you you learn a lot. You learn a lot about the myths and the and the preconceptions that we have when we uh, when we think about what is good nutrition versus bad nutrition. You got to imagine it's not too long ago, and maybe you, people some of you people might still think that egg yolks are bad for you. Maybe you still think that a that uh, low fat is is good for you. And several of those things we address directly among other myths and those are all today on the debatable podcast. Enjoy. have blown away won't you please come back and leave the pain behind i think i want you to stay lost in a world with conditional love one arm tied behind my back don't you hear me cry can't you see my tears I think I want you to stay And I'm one step forward Two steps back Trying to find a place in your heart And you keep me guessing Reminiscing How can we get back to the Thank you for having me. You, uh, I, I met you when I started at SportFit a few years ago. I was looking for a personal trainer who had, you know, focus on, on nutrition and diet also. Um, real quick, how did you get into this? Were you a kid instead of saying, I wanted to be a fireman, I wanted to be a personal <laughs> trainer? Um, <laughs> well, actually, it's, you know, in, in high school, I, I took an accounting class, uh, which... It, when I went into college, I majored in accounting. Mm. Uh, so I did that for two and a half years, and uh, I got certified to be a trainer while in college. And then I realized after I was working with some people uh, that you know that my passion, my direction in life was more meant for helping people reach their fitness goals uh, rather than sitting behind a desk right. and uh, doing accounting for the rest of my life. Right. Uh, you know, plus it it seemed more natural for me to uh, soak in nutritional and fitness knowledge rather than just accounting mm. uh, knowledge so it came more naturally for me were way. you were you interested in, in uh, health and nutrition and, and and working out when you were you know growing up 
Uh, I mean, it probably started around the seventh uh, or eighth grade when I, you know, really started uh, first exercising myself, lifting weights. Right. Uh, started off you know, like probably most kids my age. I was skinny. I uh, wanted to be more attractive to the girls, so, <laughs> so I started picking up uh, weights for that reason. Right. Uh, but from there, um, I guess my parents kind of guided me as far as I saw how their health was deteriorating by not eating well and not exercising. They both smoked. Um, by high school, they were both uh, having heart issues uh, for them at an early age. So for me, uh, it wasn't only just the physical aspect. But, uh, you know, looks wise, but also, you know, I didn't want to go in the same path uh, that they were right, headed in. Right, right. Uh, so we should establish. I mean, it's this. This is atypical for this podcast. Usually, have people on here talking about media obsession and uh, really uh, interviewing people that that care about movies and TV and video games and just kind of how they're obsessed with those passions. But the reason I have you on is because consistently on Facebook, since I I. I don't uh, go to SportFit anymore. I moved, but I consistently stay in contact with you, and I see the kind of things that you put on there. And as a as a physical trainer and someone who is uh, obsessed with with health news and nutrition news, that you fit the bill for someone to be on the podcast. Someone that is certainly uh, highly interested and follows this thing. Now, you're not a doctor, but you are certainly someone who reads a lot about. Uh, health uh, news, uh, new new things that come out, and certainly you've made it your uh, passion to kind of inform and educate people, especially to things that have changed over the years. Yeah, uh, absolutely. It's uh, you know I spent a lot of my day uh, reading studies. You know the actual mm-hmm. studies. You know twenty, thirty pages long. I read. Uh, the news media, uh, you know, when articles come out, I read uh, different blogs uh, yeah. from people putting out the information. Uh, and it, it really comes down to is a lot of what we hear in the media, it's either slanted for a certain purpose or they're only focusing on one aspect uh, of trying to get one message across. But there's this whole other uh, side of, uh, of the nutritional world or the fitness world that right. isn't getting represented uh, very well in the media. Uh, so it's, it, it gets frustrating for someone in my line of work because it seems like almost daily I have to put out the fires that the media is uh, essentially confusing people. Uh, you know, we've talked before about how we've been told like egg yolks are bad right. and people tell me all the time, well, they're bad and then they're good and they're bad and they don't really know uh, what to trust. But if we really stop uh, latching onto the latest media headlines, we can actually uh, look back through a common sense standpoint, and then when we actually look at the studies, we can really uh, decipher what the information is really telling us. Well, what do you what do you do to that? How do you consider uh, w- what the media latches onto? Do you think that they're often just latching onto, oh, this new thing came out, and this new study from Sweden came out, or this new school uh, um, finding says? Blah blah blah. Are they always kind of attaching themselves to just what is is new, rather than what you know actually uh, analyzing whether this makes sense or if this matches up with yeah it's, previous it's, ideas. Yeah, that's. Uh, I mean, I, th- I think that's the key. Is we have to figure out why they 
put out the information they do? Is it because they're you know looking for ratings? Are they um, are they being fed certain information only? Uh, you know why is it that they focus in on only one aspect of a certain topic without giving the other side an actual um, fair fair uh, fight? I think uh, as far as um, you know what the actual true information is. From your perspective, as far as the um, the things that that you currently are passionate about and that you're trying to get the word out about, do you feel that you're, uh, that, that that still hasn't broken into the mainstream? I, I know, are you a fan of the paleo diet? Uh, yeah, I mean, the, the, the paleo diet, uh, essentially if people haven't heard of the paleo diet, uh, it also goes by like the caveman diet or uh, primal eating. Um, it's kind of like, I guess, one of the newest uh, hot diet trends out there, right. you know, for good reason. It actually uh, it has uh, good scientific support at this point, it, although it's uh, a little bit limited in the actual um, uh, controlled research. Uh, but from just from a common sense standpoint, and that's what I usually try to get back to uh, anytime we're trying to improve our health is, does this make sense uh, from an evolutionary standpoint um, and then from a common sense standpoint? So the, the paleo diet is, is definitely uh, getting the attention it deserves. It's not a, a perfect, um, say, diet per se for everybody, but I think it's, uh, you know, it's, a, it's the perfect starting point. And then from there, people can kind of branch out based upon uh, their tastes or preferences, the foods that they can tolerate, and then also their goals. Um, so yeah, the the, the paleo uh, diet is definitely an interesting topic. Uh, do you think at people? Do you think people fear <clears throat> not having uh, a guidance? You know, not having it it, it uh, spelled out for them and and uh, step by step what you have to do today, what you have to eat today. So they're worried and they even fear kind of mixing and matching. I like the best things about the paleo diet, but I also want to factor in more, you know, this and over here. Mixing and matching, do you think people kind of fear going off of the reservation when they're doing a diet? Uh, Yeah, I I think it's, um, I don't know if it's fear or just human nature wanting to always uh, do things perfectly. People are so confused today of what good nutrition is, so if, if it isn't spelled out directly for them, they're not really sure which direction to go. Right. Um, so if they have a set plan, whether it's paleo or whether it's low carb or whether it's even you know low fat, whatever it is, they like to have that plan of, okay, I don't have to think about this. I know what this person is telling me to do. Mm-hmm. I don't have to worry about is, is this good to eat or bad to eat. Um, but at the same time, it's, it's, uh, we have to take into account what our likes and dislikes are. As much as I like paleo um, or even a low-carb approach, I'm still going to eat my pizza and cookies because, right. you know, those foods taste good. So right. I, I don't personally banish, you know, any foods, uh, but we have to look at it from the standpoint of, okay, which foods should we be uh, limiting? Um, and it's really, you know, it's really at the standpoint that what we're told to limit isn't really always the foods we should be limiting and and vice versa. Uh, So as far as people, you know, fearing, you know, not having a plan, I think that's, I think that's definitely true, but I try to get people to the point to where they can do this on their own. And I think that's the most important point. I shouldn't have to tell somebody what they should be eating. You know, no other animal on earth has to be told what it should eat. Uh, It's a natural thing. We're programmed to eat a certain food and really humans should be the same way. But us experts, we always like to try to, you know, myself included at times, we try to make it 
more complicated than it needs to right. be. Um, giving people set roles uh, without taking into account the individual. Right. Well, considering all of that and like your uh, your bent to it and really what you're passionate about, do you feel when you run into a senior that you're working with or a, another person uh, that they are still stuck on what they were informed about 20 years ago or what they were informed about. So their understanding is that mainstream. Do you feel like these things that you're talking about just have not broken through to be mainstream knowledge? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I work with the senior population, the population that, uh, you know, is anywhere from 55 years old uh, up to the oldest is 95 that I, that I deal with. Um, I deal with some younger people as well, um, but with this population, it's definitely over the past 30, 35 years, they've gotten this message of, you know, again, to bring up egg yolks, for example, that those are bad. And then at times, yes, the media does come along and say, well, now eggs aren't so bad for us. But then again, the media, just even a couple weeks later, will come out and say, well, now this study shows that they are bad for us. Right. Um, and here I am, you know, pretty much day in, day out here, trying to preach the same message that eggs, to me, will never be proven to be bad, even the yolks. Um, personally, I don't need a study to tell me whether or not egg yolks are good or bad. Eggs are food. Mm -hmm. um, when we start making food products, then possibly we need to look at the studies. Uh, but here I am trying to get them to limit their processed foods, uh, which, you know, cereal is a processed food um, that they've been told to consume, whereas I'm trying to get them to realize that eggs aren't as bad as they've been led to believe. And it's and those kind of mixed messages tends to make most people err on the side of caution and go with whatever message they hear most, which is eggs are bad or beef is bad, go to low-fat cereals or egg whites. Um, and it's really hard to get them to shift that mindset that, yes, it is okay to eat in a different way than what most people are telling us to do. Um, I can you know, mention studies uh, where they actually do show egg yolks are perfectly safe for us, well-controlled studies, but then a, well, or a poorly designed study will come out in the media saying that eggs are, and this is a real study that said eggs, egg, egg yolks are just as bad as smoking cigarettes people hear that message and they've been told that egg yolks are bad right. and then they get this message that they're as bad as cigarettes so then they again limit egg yolks but if you actually look at how that study is conducted designed it's not the type of study that can prove uh, that egg yolks are bad or as bad as cigarettes which is just preposterous and the fact that a researcher and a doctor has tried to push this message um, you know we have we look at experts and say well He's a doctor or, you know, uh, a researcher. He must know sure, what he's sure. doing, but there has to be some kind of agenda, and it's, it's really sending a mixed signal, right. uh, you know, when, when we hear from the media these little, you know, sound bites. Right. i got to imagine it's kind of like how uh, companies would uh, find a way to get American Heart Association to support them or to get a doctor to say, yes, this is the best toothpaste, that there is, like, this kind of 
maybe not lie, but a bending of the truth or a bending of the facts to kind of fit your agenda. And people don't really realize that when it comes to statistics or it comes to these um, these findings, these scientific findings, that a lot of it is kind of oh, it's it's this it's this kind of uh, controlled group or this this group is not being allowed to do this or whatever. They're they're, they're smokers, but or um, the ones that are taking the the egg diet they're also they also have a poor diet so the poor diet you know it, it, so it's got to be kind of how it manipulates it yeah it's it's uh i mean actually you, you hit hit the nail on the head there with uh the egg diet but what else is about the diet right and that's a big thing with a lot of these studies that come out is uh in in the in the nutritional world when we look at studies um you know there's two main types uh, there's observational studies, which is essentially they're, they're observing a population over time, and a lot of that's based upon food questionnaires. Um, and then you have what are called randomized control trials, which mm-hmm. is essentially right. where you're actually prescribing a certain diet and having them follow uh, that diet. And, and a lot of times what happens is when, when the media gets a hold of uh, the latest uh, study that comes out, it's of the observational kind where, yes, said person who might be diabetic, let's say they eat several eggs and they start to notice, wow, this person's diabetic and they eat a lot of eggs, which is a study has shown that egg consumption is uh, linked to uh, diabetes. But if someone's going to their local Denny's, having the Grand Slam breakfast with three whole eggs, but then a stack of pancakes and all this other stuff, there's these variables that aren't always taken into account Mm -hmm. uh, that can, again, uh, you know, whatever you're looking for, you can find and say, well, yeah, this uh, this group of people are more diabetic and they eat more eggs, but what else is it about their diet? And that's what we really have to look at is the diet as a whole um, and, and what kind of uh, dietary patterns are leading to which, uh, which diseases. Well, how do you react to kind of dispelling the myths, if they are myths, of cholesterol, fat, red meat, all of these things that have, you know, uh, big red stop signs on them? Um, especially as we get older, we worry about the media would have us think fat, cholesterol. Like, are are we correctly attributing this to the foods? For instance, cholesterol. Men worry about you know getting the cholesterol from high fat from uh, from the the diet that they would have. Red meat, we're told to stay away from. How do you dispel that? Uh, I mean, that's that's something that I can, you know, here at the center, I talk almost weekly on at times. Because, uh, again, we have all these studies coming out that uh, will show that, you know, cholesterol from one food, uh, they'll try to blame on, on a certain disease. Um, but if we go back, we have to really kind of break it down. And that's where it gets a little confusing for a lot of people is, number one, they say that having high cholesterol in the blood causes, you know, heart disease. Um, which then the idea was if we eat a lot of cholesterol or if we eat a lot of uh, saturated fat, which would be like beef and um, you know, bacon and, mm-hmm. and lard, that those things would raise our cholesterol, which then would lead to a heart attack. Uh, but what they're finding is uh, total cholesterol in our blood is, is not uh, that great of a marker for heart health. Uh, there are other things that we can measure in our blood 
uh, that, that we really want to keep a better eye on. So if cholesterol itself isn't causing, you know, heart disease um, or, uh, you know, other health issues, mm -hmm. then why are they still trying to push the idea that certain foods that do raise our total cholesterol are problematic? Um, but now there's, there's good uh, studies coming out where they, they look at a bunch of different studies uh, and, and they find that, for example, saturated fat has no correlation to heart disease at all. Um, but we still have these uh, older studies that show that it does. Well, if we look back at, okay, how well controlled were they, um, they weren't well designed. Uh, if you look back at the, the person who was doing the research back in the uh, 50s, 60s on it, he had data from like 22 countries. He picked seven of those countries that fit his agenda and it, and it fit his, uh, his, his theory perfectly well. But when we actually look at all the available data, there was no correlation there. Um, so it gets really complicated for a lot of people. And okay, I hear it all the time is who do we trust? Right. Um, Again, getting back to a common sense standpoint, I usually will just ask my seniors here, okay, well, what did your parents eat when they were growing up? Mm -hmm. It was eggs. It was, uh, you know, they weren't going crazy on red meat, but they didn't fear it. They ate butter. They ate lard. Uh, they had some bacon. And then I say, okay, well, how many people growing up, you know, when you were a kid, uh, how many of them had diabetes? And they don't, they don't, no hands go up. How many of them were uh, overweight or had, you know, trouble losing weight? No hands go up. How many of them had heart disease? So all these issues that we're having now, we're trying to blame on foods that we've consumed for our entire species. Right. And uh, I forget who, who said it, but he said, don't blame old time foods on new disease. And we keep trying to do that. And that's why to me, there will never be a well-controlled study showing that egg yolks are bad. We've been consuming these, these types of foods for eons without you know the high rates of cancer and alzheimer's and diabetes and obesity uh so it, to me it doesn't make sense to try to blame old foods on new diseases mm -hmm. so that's what i tend to try to get people to to look at is yes science is great and well well conducted science is great but at the same time we should be able to learn from our ancestors um and, and the proof is right there that they weren't suffering the way that we're suffering today. Right. Going back for a second, what do you feel are, uh, what have you heard or read that uh, are the better markers of heart disease rather than cholesterol? Yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, there are numerous books on the subject now, uh, and, and this is where it can get a little complicated, and, and I think that might be one reason why the medical community uh, partly isn't changing um, their stance on it, because it, it tends to confuse some people. Um, so essentially, total cholesterol, uh, for the most part, doesn't provide us with much information on heart health. Right. LDL cholesterol even, uh, which a lot of people, uh, even uh, doctors will call the bad cholesterol, right. is not really bad cholesterol. Technically, it's not even cholesterol. Um, you know, we don't just have cholesterol floating around in our blood, it's actually within that LDL or the HDL. Um, you know, now there's a, there's a lot of new information as far as LDL goes. Uh, you know, I'll have people come to me and say, well, my doctor's getting on me because my LDL is high. Well, that LDL in of itself isn't the marker we want to look for. Uh, what we want to ask our doctor for is what's called a particle size test. Um, and I've had some 
seniors or clients go to their doctor, ask for that particle size test, which is a, essentially an advanced cholesterol test. Uh, and the doctor says, uh, don't worry about it, we don't need it. Personally, uh, I don't agree with that. Um, we wanna get the particle size test because that will tell us, okay, what does that LDL consist of? Um, there are different sizes of LDL that we wanna look at. There's small dense forms and then there's big fluffy forms. If we have a lot of big fluffy forms, uh, you essentially think of those like beach balls that are just gonna kinda knock around in the body and do essentially what they should be doing, uh, which provides us with antiviral uh, properties, anti, um, essentially uh, helps clear toxins from the body. Uh, but if we're having a lot of the small dense LDL, uh, that can be problematic. And that's what we really uh, wanna look for. Um, it's not so much the total LDL, um, it's really, is it a lot of the small? Is it a lot of the big? Is the um, small dense form, what's the, the, the plaque that would? That's the kind that, yeah. So when we think of cholesterol, um, I mean, cholesterol has so many important benefits in the body right. from making sex hormones to helping our memory uh, to, again, fighting, uh, fighting toxins. Uh, cholesterol is actually an antioxidant. Um, so, yeah, there, there, that, that form of the small, small dense LDL can be is what we're finding uh, or what they're finding. I'm, I'm not doing the surgeries. <laughs> uh, what they're finding in the arteries. Um, so, yeah, we want to look at the sizes. But even now, again, it's, it's shifting to the standpoint of where uh, some, uh, some doctors are even looking at um, the total uh, particle count, which is uh, LDLP. Um, so not just an LDL on your cholesterol, which really tells us nothing. Right. We want to uh, look at the, the amount of LDL particles, and right. that's a little bit different. It gets confusing, but if you if the people ask for the particle size test, it will tell them the sizes of their LDL. It will also tell them the total count of their LDL particles. That's really important. Um, if someone's insurance doesn't cover that test or the doctor refuses the test, um, which again, you know, we're consumers, so we drive what sure. the doctors do. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, you can pretty much get your doctor to, uh, to follow through. But if not, if someone has just a regular old cholesterol test sitting at home, if they look at their HDL um, and their triglyceride numbers, so any kind of blood cholesterol test someone has had, uh, they'll have an HDL number, let's say it's 50, and then they'll have a, a triglyceride number as well on that paperwork. And that's actually a, a really great marker for heart health as well. Um, and, and it uh, kind of gives an idea too if someone's at an increased risk of diabetes down the line. Uh, what they want to see on that number uh, is, is a ratio of HDL to triglycerides. Um, so again, let's take that HDL of 50, the triglycerides of 100. That would be a ratio of uh, two to one or 2.0. Um, that is where we, that's kind of like the sweet spot. That or lower is gonna be um, a better indicator of heart health than either total cholesterol or LDL cholesterol. Um, so HDL to triglyceride ratio, um, as the person gets to a 3.0 ratio or especially a four, that's when they're gonna to start to see increased risk of heart disease, um, which consequently, if, if we look at studies uh, done on low-fat diets or low-carb diets, low-fat diets worsen that ratio. Essentially, low-fat diets are higher in carbohydrates, which tend to increase triglycerides. Uh, they decrease HDL, so it worsens that ratio. Uh, where low-carb diets, which goes against everything we've been taught, low-carb diets cut triglycerides, and they tend to increase HDL, especially if people are eating 
uh, more of the so-called bad fats, which are not bad, uh, the, the saturated fats from like beef and egg yolks and coconut oil, that increases the HDL. So low-carb diets time and time again in, in studies are showing that they improve that heart marker or yeah, heart marker uh, HDL to, to triglycerides. Myself, uh, I follow a low-carb diet. I eat a lot of the, the foods they say are bad for us. You know, uh, again, the egg yolks and the beef and the, and the butter. Mm-hmm. Uh, my, my HDL to triglyceride ratio is uh, 0.63, which right. if, if you're looking at that from a heart stance, is phenomenal. Um, so, uh, and my doctor's response to me was, well, you must be different, which is really odd since both of my parents have uh, you know, heart disease. Right. Um, and I'm doing essentially what they tell us not to do, and, and all you know, and my numbers are are, are mm-hmm. phenomenal. So short of heredity, I got to imagine that a lot of this is from environment, bad uh, habits, and the bad foods that we might eat. A lot of this, a lot of these health concerns come on from smoking, from eating processed and high sugar, high carb foods and not exercising, I'm sure. Yeah, it's, um, when, when we look at a lot of the diseases that we're dealing with today, uh, right. diabetes, um, heart disease, uh, even cancer, is, especially type 2 diabetes, you know, type sure. 1 is a little bit different, uh, but type 2 diabetes and heart disease are, are so largely preventable um, it's not uh, something that we should be even dealing with with the amount of people that are being affected, right. the cost that's being affected. Um, cancer, I mean, uh, cancer is obviously uh, much more environmental, but, you know, 30 to 35 percent of cancers are related to diet, um, at least according to some sources. And then obviously you have smoking. Sure. Um, so if we look at disease from a lifestyle standpoint, not smoking eating well, whatever that may mean, which is essentially not exactly what a lot of what we've been sure, told. Sure. Uh, so we're seeing a lot of diabetes and obesity um, and even still high rates of heart disease. And there's a good good proportion of the population that is following the recommendations. I mean, obviously there's the people that just don't care, uh, you know, like someone in my family who has heart disease who just eats whatever they want, they don't exercise and they smoke. But I deal with a population that is trying to follow the recommendations. They, they exercise, they don't smoke, um, they're following the low fat, um, and they still have diabetes and they're still 30 pounds overweight. Um, so we have to really examine, is the message that we're giving out, is it working? And if, if, if anybody were to spend a week here at my senior center, um, again, you would see the people who don't care and just do whatever, but you would also see the people who are really trying um, and it's failed them. Mm-hmm. And that's what really, uh, that's what really uh, bothers me right. is, is those people who are trying to do the right thing uh, in their health is right. not where it should be. And they've gotten to the point in their, in their lives that <laughs> a, a, beyond them, beyond their knowledge, whatever they were taking into their body has had this, you know, this effect on them. They, they obviously thought that they were, if, if they weren't one of these people that was just eating or doing whatever they wanted, that they were actually trying to make an effort to prolong their life and actually eat and do do uh, have have good habits and everything and obviously it turned out poorly still for them beyond their control or it, beyond their knowledge yeah and that's that's um you know it's taken me you know i would say at least a good year of trying to correct that bad yeah. nutritional uh information they were given um 
but even then it's still hard for people to realize that what they've been doing isn't working. Um, and, and one of my mentors, uh, uh, Dr. John Berardi, has a, has a quote of, when anybody's trying to argue that what they're doing is working for them, or they think it is, basically you just ask them, how's that working for you? Right. Um, which that's really hard to say to somebody who's, who's, who's diabetic sure. and overweight. Um, it makes a point, but it also, um, I don't want them to feel like that they've done something wrong. You know, the information that they were given was wrong. Uh, the information that they still try to follow is wrong, uh, and that's what's not working. It's not them. It's it's the information right. that's kind of right. led them uh, in in the wrong direction. Right. Let's um for the for the layman and the people who who don't know, let's talk a little bit about nutrition basics. So when you are getting up in the morning and you're going to eat something. What what comprises the food we eat? We have we have proteins, we have carbohydrates, fats. What else? What else do we have? Uh, well, we have vitamins and minerals, right. um, and then you have these lesser known uh, things about like uh, phytonutrients and, and uh, you know obviously antioxidants and all that stuff. Um, and, and that's where again, uh, you know, I'll sometimes deal with people who say. Well, how much protein should I have? Right. Yeah. How yeah. many carbohydrates? Because a lot of times I will say, you know, we do need to reduce our carbohydrates in our society. Not that we need to all go low carb, but we're we're definitely over consuming them, and especially in the wrong forms. Uh, so then the question is, well, how much? Uh, you know, what should a meal consist of? Uh, I I'm starting to get away from. Uh, well, not starting. I I definitely gotten away from giving people an exact amount or right. at least a range. Right. Um, I try to guide them though, and and that's where you know if we're looking at protein, carbs, and fats, um, even that terminology can really kind of uh, go over some people's head, and you start throwing numbers at them. I mean, one of my favorite sayings is, "Let's not treat uh, food or eating like a math problem." Right. Yeah. Uh, so you know, as humans or any animal, we eat food. Um, it just so happens that protein, fats, carbs, and vitamins and minerals are contained within food. Um, if we, again, if we, uh, you know, you brought up the paleo diet earlier, right. if we go back to a paleo diet approach, it's really foods that you find in nature. And then if you're eating those foods you find in nature, that tends to take care of the protein, fats, and carbs. Um, you know, for most of human history, before we even knew what those uh, proteins, fats, and carbs were, we did perfectly fine. Actually, mm -hmm. we probably did even better. Right. Um, but, you know, if we just think about it from a, a protein aspect, think about any animal-based food, um, meat, seafood, eggs, mm -hmm. uh, you know, you do, sometimes people associate like nuts or nut butters with protein. Uh, they're a little bit higher in fat, but they do contain a little bit of protein. Um, and then you have some vegetarian sources of protein, but personally, I, I think as humans, we do better uh, right. getting our protein from animal sources right. uh, you know again those animal sources are often bashed but if we look at it from a nutrient aspect animal sources are uh, animal sources contain more nutrients as far as vitamins and sure. minerals uh, and protein and, and, and good fats than any vegetarian mm -hmm. or, or plant source again yeah. not saying that plants aren't good um, but meat seafood eggs and then uh, if we're looking for carbohydrates we want to get the carbs that we find in nature, uh, you know, vegetables and fruit. A lot of times people, uh, are, are, you know, you mentioned the uh, food guide pyramid earlier. It's, right. it's, 
you know, we've been led to believe that we have to have grains and, and bread and bagels and pasta. That's a large part of it. Correct. A large part of that pyramid. Correct. So, I mean, we tend to associate that we need those foods for carbohydrates, for energy, and we, and we think we need those foods for fiber. Uh, but if we look at uh, those same things, fiber and, and, and vitamins and minerals, we can get those from vegetables and, and some fruit. Um, so we don't have to have greens in our diet. And if we look at it from an evolutionary standpoint, for the most of human history, we didn't eat or consume grains. So if grains were so important for our health, they would have been a bigger part of our history, which right. they've only been a very, very small part of our history. Um, so, you know, if we're eating animal products, we'll get our fat and our protein fine, assuming we're not going for uh, low fat or zero fat, let's say dairy. Um, there's, there's no reason to avoid full fat dairy. Um, it's so, not, so, so whole milks and... Yeah, um, you know, when we're getting into the dairy, that's where, uh, you know, that's if we're going to a paleo approach, uh, dairy is, is not uh, quote unquote paleo. Um, but if, if someone tolerates dairy fine, if they can digest it uh, right. fine, then yeah, no, whole milks if they want to do it. I would, you know, just a side tangent, uh, I would say ideally like organic, uh, definitely raw if they could really get access to it, uh, which here in Maryland, uh, very, very yeah, difficult. You're going to have an easier time getting a hold of some illicit drug. <laughs> yeah, yeah, crack cocaine would be yeah, easier. Yeah, absolutely. Man. I make that joke all the time. Yeah. It's, it's easier to buy crack than it is raw milk here in Maryland, which is which is really uh, a sad state of affairs. But so, yeah, I mean, uh, full fat dairy, um, you know, we, we want the fats from, from, our, from our animal sources. Mm-hmm. They're there for a reason. Yeah. Um, Fats, uh, fat from animals tends to contain vitamins uh, and minerals with it. Um, they help uh, absorb those uh, vitamins and minerals uh, more efficiently. Um, so we don't always have to go out of our way to consume more fat. Um, even though I'm a big fan of consuming extra fat for myself, sure. I can get away with it um, just because my body tends to uh, burn more calories, it seems like. Um, but for most people, if they just opt for even some dark meat chicken or poultry uh, or obviously salmon is a great choice but any fatty fish uh, beef those foods naturally contain fat Uh, so it's not that we always have to go out of our way but if we're eating animal foods we're getting our fat and our protein taken care of yeah and then just add some plants uh, on top of that and and it's it's so simple when you really get down to it it's it's almost scary that we've built whole professions uh, off of telling people what to eat sure um, but if you think of just eating some kind of animal or animal product and, 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 and plenty of plants, um, I mean, that tends to take care of itself. Um, though, again, though, the media will come out and try to confuse us sure. on, on what is the best, best sure. aspect. Well, when you talk about proteins and carbs um, specifically, what do you think about someone who is worried about too much? Is there too much protein that you can take in is your body going to turn that into something that's going to be dangerous for you yeah i mean i mean that that does get brought up a lot and i think that's another one of those um questions that humans like to throw out is 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 there uh, an idea that we can have too much protein uh for the vast majority of people i deal with um they're getting too little protein and and different sources will say that we're consuming too much protein these days uh, but when you really look at a person's diet um, it's it's 
grain based, it's low fat based, um, it's getting a little bit of protein in there, um, but it's not sufficient. I mean, it's sufficient to support life, but it's, it's not uh, optimal amounts to support a lean body mm -hmm. and, and good, um, good function of the body. So, I mean, yes, someone could overeat protein and extra protein would essentially have the same fate as too much fat or too much carbohydrates to where it could be stored as body fat. But the, the body's ability to store uh, protein as fat is very limited. Um, and protein is filling. Uh, you know, anybody who's ever sat down to have a, a good uh, ribeye steak knows that if you have that steak, sure. you know, you're going to be full for, for quite a while. Mm -hmm. uh, whereas if you have a bowl of cereal, within an hour, you're hungry again. Right. So, yes, I mean, someone could eat too much protein, but I look at it from the aspect uh, for the vast majority, that's like asking, can you drink too much water? Yes, I mean, people have oh, yeah, uh, right. drank too much water and people have died from that, but the the um, need to worry about it is so slim, it's, it shouldn't even be on our radar. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, protein is something that, you know, we don't have to s slam down protein shakes all day long, but we definitely want to be consuming more foods that are naturally rich in protein. So you certainly want to get away from uh, attributing a number and that math equation to it, but with protein, is there, like... You know, for someone who's an active person, should they be taking in, you know, 75, 100 grams or more of protein a day? Yeah, I mean, there's there's definitely, um, you know, some people, I mean, as a former accounting major, some people like numbers. Sure. Um, and, and for that group of people, uh, you know, I have no problem saying, yeah, shoot for X amount of uh, grams of protein a day. Um, but what I find for most people is it, it adds an extra step into eating that makes right. it more uh, difficult than right. need be. You're about um, simplifying Yeah, and, it, the and diet. That's, that's really something that has changed over the years um, is I used to tell people, okay, we need to eat this certain amount of, uh, of protein, for example, um, and then wonder why a month later they're not following the plan. Um, so we can still get enough protein, but uh, a simpler approach I like to use is uh, if we just look at the palm of our hand, uh, that's essentially four ounces uh, of, uh, of a protein source. So if we, again, look at steak or fish um, or chicken or something, a palm of protein is roughly uh, 25 to 30 grams. And uh, for, most, uh, for most females, I would say one palm size of a protein food uh, would be sufficient per meal or even snack. Um, you know, I'm not a big uh, fan of uh, of snacking, but you know, of actually having complete meals. Sure. Uh, so uh, for females, I say shoot for one palm size of some kind of uh, meat or seafood source. Uh, it gets a little tricky though if we get into like eggs or yeah. uh, let's say dairy because you're not going to be able to right. put those foods directly uh, <laughs> into your hands. So that's where you know having some numbers can kind of help guide those choices. Right. Um, so if we look at a typical large egg, that's seven grams of protein. Again, assuming they're eating the whole whole egg, and they right. should be. There's there's no reason uh, to be throwing away the yolk. Um, so if one egg has seven grams of protein, for most females, uh, 20 to 30 grams of protein per meal. Um, so if we take just eggs, uh, assuming that they're not eating any other protein source, that would be three to four eggs per meal mm -hmm. and that's usually where I'll have people's eyes <laughs> uh, bug out of their head yeah. that, that you know Mark is saying I should eat you know three eggs for a meal and right. that that sounds uh, crazy but if you think about it if if you had three whole eggs um, which would provide sufficient protein and some vegetables 
that meal is going to leave you satisfied for oh, sure. hours. Mm-hmm. Um, in study, and there was a really good study uh, a few years back where they did that. They had people eat either whole eggs or a bagel for breakfast. Right. Um, same amount of calories. And what they found was that the uh, egg eaters noted that they were less hungry. Uh, and they actually consume 400 calories less per day. Mm-hmm. Um, so if we're looking at a really easy way to uh, lose weight, be healthy, our food choices play a role. And that study alone showed that an egg-based breakfast, without having to count anything, led to less uh, eating or mm-hmm. you know cutting back in calories without us having to do math. Right. And, and I think that's where we um, have been going wrong is we're trying to, again, treat food like a math problem yeah. but if we can get people strategies uh, you know eat enough protein and you know whole foods with some fat in them uh, per day you're not gonna you know your body's ability to regulate will be much better I think that it's funny too because it's going back to the uh, original problem with uh, the misinformation about eggs that I imagine if so, if you told someone have three to four eggs for breakfast they're going to next ask you every day or I can only have that once a week or Twice a week, how often can I have Yeah, that, that, and to me that, that's uh, to the point these days where it kind of makes me feel sad that we have to ask how often yeah. can I eat that certain food. Right. Um, you know, eggs were a staple food uh, decades ago and people were doing a whole lot better. Um, so, you know, at our house I've, I've told people at times uh, we go through six dozen whole eggs per week just between me and my wife and... You know, we give a couple eggs to the dog, mm-hmm. um, but we eat a lot of eggs. They're cheap, uh, you know, even though we buy the pastured right. uh, kind of eggs, uh, they're still cheap in comparison to other foods. Right. Um, they're cheap, they taste awesome, uh, they're convenient. Uh, you know, we can hard boil up a whole bunch of eggs and, and be set for uh, several days. Um, so yeah, it's by avoiding those types of foods, we've been turned on to foods that tend to cause us to eat more because we're not satisfied and we get hungrier and we're not getting the nutrients. So then our body wants them. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean, when we get to the eggs and the dairy, you know, 20 to 30 grams of protein for a female. Uh, when we're talking guys, uh, we're looking at 40 to 60 grams of protein. Again, that's just a, a general recommendation for both. Um, we can kind of tailor it from there depending upon how many meals they're eating what their activities levels are um and for guys you know getting back to the palm size that would be two palms of meat or fish or um you know some kind of uh, meat source like that would be two palms of protein so again we don't have to weigh we don't have to measure we don't have to really if you don't want to you don't have to see if you're getting 50 grams or 30 grams just have uh for guys two palm sizes uh, for females, one palm size, um, and, and that tends to get most people where they need to be. What does your plate look like when you when you talk about you know people talk about kind of sectioning it up? You talk about this four ounces or eight ounces of meat, then is half the plate vegetables? Um, well, if, if you're asking me personally, right. um, you know what my plate looks right. like. It's gonna. I've be seen yeah. some cookies and some, <laughs> yeah. some bacon. Um, yeah, so I mean, I definitely have my sweet tooth, but. Uh, you know, even even as a you know a health professional, I still have the areas that I can improve upon. Sure. So my plate, if anything, is is at times lower in the vegetables than I would prefer. Um, so that's something that I personally try to work on. Uh, but the the plate in general that I tend to recommend for people is if they're looking at a plate, uh, number one is. The plate size plays such a huge role, oh, right, right. we don't even think about it. Um, and I think that alone can make a big shift in, in, in someone's uh, uh, mindset is, 
is we need to, uh, if you want to be a smaller person, eat off of smaller plates. If you want to be a bigger person, eat off of bigger plates. And if we look at the plate sizes in this country, it's, it's, it's oh, yeah. really, it's absurd. Oh, yeah. um, so plate size does play a role. Um, but if we're looking at that plate, you know, at least half or even um, a little bit more than half should be a variety of vegetables. Um, from there, uh, again, if we're taking that palm size of protein for females, two palm sizes for guys, you know, that could be another quarter or even a third of the plate, depending upon. Um, and then depending upon what kind of meat source or uh, other protein source they're having, if, uh, if it's a little low on the fat side, I'd say have a little uh, bit of extra fat on the plate, uh, whether that's some nuts or seeds, um, or maybe they just cooked with some fat. So I'm um, you know, like cooking with real butter, um, right. nothing wrong with that. Um, cooking with actual baking grease, if they wanted to do that, or coconut oil, that mm -hmm. would provide a little bit of the fat that they need. Uh, so again, looking at the plate, most of it uh, would be vegetables. Um, the, the, a good chunk would be some kind of meat-based uh, protein source or again, eggs or seafood. When I say meat, I just throw seafood in there. But, um, and then a little bit of extra fat if they need it. Um, not everybody needs extra fat uh, in their diet, especially if they're eating the actual fat from uh, animal sources, if they're eating a steak or if they're eating dark meat chicken. Um, and then, you know, I didn't talk about fruit. Uh, fruit uh, tastes awesome, it's convenient, um, but it is higher in calories and higher in sugar. Not that that in and, in and of itself is a bad thing, uh, but I've found that when you tell people to eat more fruits and vegetables, well, they listen to the more fruits. Right. Um, I'm definitely the same way because they, they taste a whole lot better mm -hmm. to me than vegetables. Sure. Uh, so for most people, I try to get them to, you know, I think more of veggies and a little bit of fruit. Um, Leaner people can get away with more fruit, whereas someone who's trying to lose more weight, they probably want to be on the lower uh, end of fruit intake. Um, so that would be like a general plate. If, if someone just worked out, that's where, you know, if, if, if they've had a good challenging workout, uh, if they want to have a little bit of, of those greens, whether they like them or they feel like they need them, um, you know, that's, that's up to them. I, you know, we don't need grains in our diet, uh, but if they want to have it after a tough workout, having a small portion there. Um, but if we're looking at a plate, it's not going to be like shrimp marinara at a restaurant. You know, right. it's, it's going to be like a, a tennis ball or baseball right. size of pasta or rice, um, or if they want to have like maybe a sweet potato or something right. like that. Um, so we don't need as much of those as we think we do, especially at every meal, right. uh, which is, is, is kind of crazy when you think about sure, yeah. uh, what most people's meals uh, consist right. of uh, carbohydrate-wise. So right. carbs aren't bad, and, 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 uh, and we don't need to... Uh, most people don't need to totally avoid them. Should we be still um, talking about old, old traditional knowledge? Should we still be thinking of things as, as th three square meals a day? I mean, when I started working out, there was an idea that you need to increase your metabolism, so you need to eat six times a day. Yeah, and I, I was probably definitely one of those people that told you that. Right. Um, which, when I, and, and I understand if we get back to how we uh, are hard to change some of our nutritional views, I definitely understand that mindset because when I started hearing some knowledgeable, knowledgeable people saying, well, we don't need to eat five, six meals a day, when I've been preaching that for years and I've been doing it, um, it was really hard to uh, admit that, well, maybe we don't. And when we actually look at the studies, there is no proof that more frequent meals actually increase metabolism. Um, there's, there's the idea that it increases it uh, just isn't there. 
Uh, so that's where science is, especially or, well, nutritional science is definitely um, proving some things that uh, you know what we've been told aren't true. Um, and that kind of generated with the bodybuilding crowd that uh, you know more frequent meals was mm-hmm. better for uh, fat loss, uh, and then we just kind of transition transition that out to everybody. Um, but the, the proof isn't there, and you know maybe some people listening in right now are thinking, okay, well, Mark has totally lost me now because we know this to be true. Right. Um, but that's where uh, even myself at times I have to step back and say, okay, do we really know this? Um, and when we look at the the research, it's not there. Um, if we just think back to the 50s when people were slimmer, you know, the 1950s, people were slimmer, they were eating three meals a day. So if they had to eat more frequent meals to be slimmer, why were they right. slimmer right. on just three meals a day? So, mm-hmm. um, and then if we look at it from an evolutionary standpoint, um, our ancestors probably only had one or two meals a day, um, or maybe even some days where there was no food. Um, and again, they were much healthier, they were much uh, leaner than us. Um, and then there's you know good research coming out now that what's called uh, intermittent fasting, which is essentially you know you might go a day without food, uh, has some good health benefits to it, maybe even some good body composition benefits, and that flies in the face of those five to six small meals a day. Um, you know, not saying people need to latch on to the the, the fasting trend now, um, but it's it's interesting where that that uh, research is going now. What do you think about um, the the idea of sugar? People, so we talk about proteins have a hard time, but they can be stored as fat, right? And carbs and sugar, really when we talk about low-fat diets and how that kind of, you know, obviously sugar is on, sugar is even on that pyramid, or it's, it's said used sparingly, mm-hmm. but... It is something that's factored in. In fact, I saw just recently a, uh, a kid show where the health professional, the nutritionist, told this kid, yeah, you're only supposed to have this many grams of sugar a day. So it was already in her, the thing that she was telling, telling them was there is already a, a, a number yeah. limit on what you're supposed to on sugar and sugar is, is certainly something that's ingrained in our, our American diet yeah it's uh, I mean when we're again when we're looking at carbohydrates carbohydrates like protein are harder to store as fat um, you know with the conversion process but the the fact is uh, if we look at the at the data we're consuming more carbohydrates today than compared to 1970s and we're definitely consuming more sugar today as well and uh, you know some people are trying to uh, say that it's the sugar itself that is causing uh, obesity and and diabetes and then there's another group of people who are looking at the research saying well it's actually that just the extra calories Um, it's not so much that sugar and carbs are the bad guys the fact that we're getting too much of them and I I do tend to lean towards that end is we are consuming more calories these days uh, but if we look at the data it's actually because we are consuming uh, more sugar and carbohydrates and again in the forms that are uh, more quickly digested. Um, as far as how much sugar per day with the guidelines, um, I, I've seen the numbers, I just don't commit it to memory because I just, I'm of, of the mindset if we tend to take a more natural whole foods approach, it takes care of itself. Right. Um, but when I look at most people's diets, it's easy to say that they're consuming too much sugar. Uh, you know. 
drinking soda nowadays, sure. regular sodas, is almost becoming a, a new normal, whereas before it was looked at as a, as a treat. Mm-hmm. Um, we look at low-fat products, and when they take out the fat, they have to add something back in to add the taste because people aren't going to eat it. So most people, especially the ones that I'm dealing with who are overweight and diabetic, are eating low-fat yogurts, but then I always know, even though I ask them, but I already know it, they're eating the flavored yogurts, which contain yeah. almost as much sugar uh, you know, as a can of soda. Um, so... Yeah, we're definitely over-consuming, over-consuming that stuff. Um, you know, there, there's a host of health issues from consuming too much of it. The average American would do well. Um, you know, I, I, you know, for the people who kind of defend sugar, I mean, there's a group of people who now are trying to say, okay, we're almost overly demonizing sugar. Right. Um, but what I say is if the average American uh, shunned sugar as much as they've shunned egg yolks <laughs> and red meat, right. we'll be better. We'll be better off. Right. Um, you know, not that we can ever have sugar, because again, I love my cookies. Oh yeah, right. Um, but we, we definitely need to uh, cut back on the amount that we're are, consuming. Are you a, f- a fan of these diets and and these uh, these outlooks that insist on counting calories and? Um. <clears throat> Overall, I would say you know my first my first reaction is no, uh, again because that's uh, treating food from a numbers game and not treating food right. like food. Um, but the accounting person in me knows that uh, at times tracking things number wise can be beneficial, especially for some people. So in that instance, um, I have no problem with whatever works for the individual. I think for the vast majority, we don't have to do it that way. Um, but there's the people that can eat a really well-balanced diet, even a, a paleo or low-carb approach, who just assume that uh, it doesn't count, and it does. So for those people who aren't reaching their goals, especially weight loss-wise, um, even if they're eating the foods I recommend, um, I've seen people say that, oh, well, you know, if you eat low-carb, you can eat as much as you want, and you're not going to gain weight. That's just not true, um, due to various reasons. Um, but for the person who isn't reaching their goals, again, how's that working for you? And that might be where at least tracking the numbers for a brief short time can give some people some awareness. Um, and, and I'm definitely all for that. Um, but I think a lot of people don't have to do it that way. Okay. What about uh, a recent uh, trend has been, especially with the the whole foods, the healthy foods uh, fans have been <clears throat> getting away from gluten? Um, yeah, the, the, the gluten uh, thing is definitely the next uh, hot trend be, you know, besides just paleo is, again, uh, we're, and I'm guilty of this at times too, is uh, us health professionals are always trying to demonize uh, one aspect of food. Um, for a certain percentage of the population, uh, they definitely have to uh, avoid gluten completely. Mm-hmm. That's a very small percent. Maybe 1% of people need to avoid it uh, all the time. But then there's uh, a larger percentage of the population that are thinking upwards of 30 to 40% of us do have some kind of gluten sensitivity. And that's where it's not uh, quite as uh, bad for our health, but it can still uh, cause some health issues. So for, you know, it is a good chunk of people, probably limiting gluten in the diet uh, health-wise would be a good idea. there's no need for gluten in our diet. Uh, it's not like uh, gluten-containing foods or, mm-hmm. or these special foods right. that we have to have. Again, that's usually they're found in grains, right. um, so we don't have to have those, but they do taste good. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, so 
not everybody needs to avoid it. Um, and this is where food manufacturers are catching on. And just like the low-fat craze, where we were told fat was bad, food manufacturers made low-fat cookies, and people thought as long as they didn't have fat, right. fine to eat. Well, food manufacturers know us, and now they're plastering gluten-free on Lucky Charms right, and, right. and all these processed foods. Right. Um, you know, apple is gluten-free. <laughs> An egg is gluten-free. Right, right. Um, but those don't need those terms. But these processed foods, they know that, well, we can kind of add this extra health benefits, so to speak. Well, we think it's extra healthy by plastering gluten-free, and we're going to buy that. And it, and it does work. We, we buy those foods because we're told that uh, gluten is bad, for example, and we buy the gluten-free labeled foods. But some of those alternatives for weight loss or even blood sugar control can be even worse. Um, so I think it's a good idea for a lot of people to limit gluten-containing foods, um, but we have to be careful of what we replace mm-hmm. um, you know, or, or put in place of what we're trying to cut back on. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd rather have someone eating more eggs and vegetables and fruit uh, if they're cutting back on gluten rather than just gluten-free bread or, or gluten-free cereals. Right. Um, so we have to be careful in that aspect. So, so just as with w- w- what we talked about earlier, just as with, with, with uh, eggs, the myth around eggs, what do you feel has been the myth around butter and margarine and oil? And recently, coconut oil has become the, the new best thing. What do you think about people who demonized uh, butter? As a as a and lard as a bad thing. Yeah, it's um, again we if we go back to uh, looking at the research that um, we thought was showing that those foods are bad, it, the evidence uh, just isn't there. Um, so you know again our ancestors uh, used butter in their cooking and and they were a lot better off than us. Um, on the opposite end though, we now have people who realize that butter isn't bad for us and they almost go to the opposite right. extreme where they're putting butter in their coffee. It's yeah. actually a real thing. Um, I've even thought about it. So for some people, they can go overboard on it. But um, butter, you get from a cow. Mm-hmm. Margarine, uh, there's a saying, trust the cow or trust the chemist. And uh, some people trust chemists, but I'd rather trust a cow than some chemically altered yeah. uh, alternative. Uh, so margarine you know, was recommended, and, and now most experts aren't recommending it because we, we uh, know that the trans fats in the margarines or the partially hydrogenated oils are um, pretty much awful for our health. Um, so they've started recommending some different oils. Um, and that's where, uh, you know, I'm running into it now, the uh, American Heart Association, um, while they're not really recommending the margarines, they're recommending these vegetable oils. Um, and, and anytime you have these buttery fake spreads that have like, let's say, Smart Balance uh, or the like, uh, they'll use these vegetable oils. And the idea is uh, a lot of people think those are heart healthy oils because they don't have um, saturated fat or they don't have cholesterol or that they lower cholesterol. But again, that's, that's not following the evidence. And, and we have these expert organizations recommending these options in, uh, instead of recommending butter or lard or, or um, you know, coconut oil uh, because they still have this mindset of that you know, the cholesterol is bad for us or the saturated fat is bad for us. But if we actually now look at the, uh, the evidence, uh, it isn't there. And it's actually, there's a study that came out recently. Um, well, the study itself didn't come out recently. Uh, it was from the, the late 60s, uh, early 70s. They recovered, uh, you know, quote unquote, recovered <laughs> some data. Um, and they found that the people uh, who ditched butter and consumed the vegetable oil, which at the, uh, what they were consuming was safflower oil, 
the vegetable oil group died sooner than the butter group. In spite of this new evidence, the American Heart Association actually released a press statement saying, well, according to us and, and all the evidence that we have, um, based upon well-conducted, uh, again, quote-unquote, well-conducted research, uh, we're still going to be recommending these vegetable oils. And there's a good percentage of health es- experts uh, out there now and, and nutritional uh, you know, professionals recommending ditching the vegetable oils. Uh, the vegetable oils, um, some of them are genetically modified, which is a whole other talk, um, and you know, that's a whole other debate. Right. Um, that's one issue. Um, the, they're so high in what's called omega-6 fatty acids um, that can uh, throw off the delicate balance of fats in the body, which are very problematic. Um, so these vegetables are, you know, they're, they're claimed as heart healthy and they have heart healthy check marks on them in the supermarket, but they're anything but. And uh, consuming those instead of butter is one of the worst things that we can do. Uh, we're getting so many of them in our diet. Um, it's quite sad that uh, these expert panels are still recommending them Um, you know you talked about coconut oil Mm -hmm. Um, again coconut oil is a traditional food it's been consumed uh, you know or at least in coconut form for uh, eons if we look at populations that consume a large percentage of their calories from coconuts they don't have the rates of heart disease and diabetes and and obesity that we have Um, but again the idea was coconut oil high in saturated fat bad for the heart because it raises cholesterol but what the studies actually show is yeah it raises total cholesterol a little bit but it's because it raises that good hdl so again it's 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 frustrating that uh at times it's still demonized um even though it is uh going through a resurgence in popularity now uh but i still have seniors that say well i talked to my doctor about it and they said don't consume it Mm -hmm. and they said don't consume it because uh, for example it's solid at room temperature so that means it's going to be solid in my artery well that in of itself is is, it makes me laugh because coconut oil above 76 degrees and anybody that has it at home can (laughs) do this test you know the next couple days hopefully when it gets warmer (laughs) put it outside above 76 degrees it becomes liquid i don't know about you but my inside (laughs) of my body is warmer than 76 degrees so we have you know these well-intentioned people telling us these things that even just from a common sense standpoint uh, doesn't hold. Well, the problem is, I feel uh, a lot of the time with with people turning off their brain or turning off the, their ears to this is simply because it becomes a confusion, a complication. It's it's hard to follow, or you've got seven different people saying seven different things. So then they're like, they just tune out. Yeah. yeah. And, and but what you what you are getting to the point of is simplifying and saying eat real food eat things that don't have things injected into them gmos and all of that talk a little bit about gmos by the way that's interesting oh um (laughs) genetically modified we might need another whole (laughs) i know this is this is going down but briefly talk about Um, gmos well i mean if people aren't aware of uh, what gmo or genetically modified foods are um i mean we're being you know sold on the idea that we need these foods uh in order to feed the world or cut back on pesticide use um, because there are so many people in this world that we can't feed them with the amount of food we have so we need these genetically modified foods that we can grow more of and for cheaper um, essentially what, what what's going on is that they've been able to change the DNA of, of certain foods to where they're um, whether they're resistant resistant to drought or um, they produce their own pesticide which to me is probably one of the uh, 
the most worrisome aspects is you have uh, uh, corn now that can produce its own toxin that wow. uh, will kill the insects by rupturing their uh, digestive system. Wow. Uh, now, in fairness, you know, there, the, a lot of the scientific community says that GM, genetically modified foods or GMOs are perfectly safe. Um, and that's, again, where we're getting into this thing of, well, this side says this and the other side might have maybe even less credible evidence. Um, you know, I have to admit that the, the evidence to this point that the, the GMO foods are bad for us isn't solid. Um, but there's some evidence. Um, and again, getting back from getting back to that more, and I hate to say natural because uh, there's a, what's called a naturalistic fallacy that, you know, not everything natural is good for us. Right. But I tend to think that the way food has been grown is the ideal way. Right. Um, and let's better to be safe than sorry. Um, you know, other countries around the world, around 60 countries around the world, either ban GMO foods or they require labeling. Uh, North America is, you know, the U.S. and Canada are one of the very, very few that don't require labeling. And that's probably the hottest topic right now is, okay, we can, you know, even myself, let others decide on the safety. At least let people like myself know what I'm buying if it contains mm -hmm. it. That way I can make a choice for my family. Mm -hmm. um, then from that aspect is we're told that it will cost us more to buy the products because of the labeling because they have to add new labels. But if we again use that gluten uh, example, all these products now say gluten-free and they're not trying to tell us right. that it's going to cost us more. So there's a lot of scare tactics on both sides mm -hmm. of, of the uh, argument here. Um, but I, I think it's one of those next great debates that we need to have mm -hmm. as far as, uh, you know, is it safe? Do you want to consume it? Um, and, and what, you know, where do we go from here? For someone who really wants to eat right, okay, and wants to eat <clears throat> natural foods and get away from processed foods, there's two things that constantly come up. How can you be sure that the meats that you're buying, the dairies that you're buying, the foods the, 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 that, that you would, uh, eggs, that they are natural, organic, don't have something pumped into them. And also, the next question being the expense of it. Many people believe that eating naturally, eating organic, a lot of things that you would buy, say, from Whole Foods, are extremely more expensive than going to your local supermarket. So how do you deal with wanting to eat right and knowing where it's coming from, that meat, and how do you deal with the expense of it? Um, so, yeah. Two questions there that are uh, that tie together well. The first thing I would say is, as much as I'm a, a a fan and for myself and try to get others to go in that direction, um, for for some people, just not drinking regular sodas and drinking uh, water and even eating some non-organic produce, more of it, is a, a huge step in the right direction. So we have to look at it uh, number one from the individual aspect because if I take someone who is uh, eating fast food six times a, a week, um, drinking a 12-pack of uh, regular sodas a week, and then I tell them, hey, you have to be buying grass-fed beef and um, organic produce and only water, for a lot of people, that's going to freak them out, right. and that's going to shut them down to change. So we have to meet the person where they're at. Now, that still doesn't change the fact that we need to get the message out that our food system uh, is, uh, the state of the food system is quite sad. Um, 
the meat that we're consuming today is not the same meat that our grandparents consumed. Um, you know, most people by now have heard that you know the animals are given hormones and antibiotics, um, and and the reason that they're given so much of that stuff is to increase the profits. Um, it does allow for uh, more production. Um, the antibiotics help keep the sick animals from getting uh, sicker. Um, so if we can, you know, eat animals that are, aren't raised in those conditions, they don't need the, the antibiotics. They, uh, they're not so concerned with the profits. Um, so how do we know, you know, which foods are the better ones if we're trying to, again, take that next step in our, in our diet? Um, the USDA has a, a little uh, seal, a circle on organic foods that says USDA organic, and, and it has this little half white, half black uh, circle on it. Um, and that's how you would know that if the produce you're buying is organic or not, um, it has to meet certain criteria. And that criteria is actually um, you know, kind of stringent. It's not just in, uh, something that uh, is easily obtained, um, which uh, getting that seal also costs money, which means that's why the organic produce will cost more. Um, so we want to look for that USDA organic seal um, if we're buying uh, produce for organic, and I think that is important. Again, the scientific community is kind of split on the safety of pesticides. I, I always look at it, organic was the original way that we raised things, but now we have to all of a sudden label it organic. So I think it's best to get organic produce. Um, so the USDA uh, seals is, is a good step there. Um, if someone is, you know, to go into that money aspect of it real quick on the produce, if somebody is uh, tight on money, uh, if they go to Google and type in Dirty Dozen Produce, they can uh, find a list uh, of which uh, produce are more sprayed than others. So if someone is on a budget uh, and, and they do want to incorporate more organic produce, um, they can type in Dirty Dozen and they'll find the top 12 most heavily sprayed. Uh, I think apples, for example, just took the number one spot and they found over 30 different chemicals sprayed onto the apple. Um, so that would be, you know, if I go to Panera, which I love Panera, um, you know, I'll get the apple, but I don't usually eat that apple. You know, is a, is a non-organic apple better than a bag of potato chips? Absolutely. Um, but I myself personally uh, mainly consume the, you know, I'll buy organic apples uh, when I can. Um, when it comes to meats, uh, meat and eggs is uh, super confusing now. I mean, uh, the labeling confused, oh, yeah. yeah, it confused me for years. Yeah. Uh, you know, with eggs, we see free-range and uh, cage-free cage free and organic. Yeah, and, and natural. Yeah. You even see natural in there, which yeah. obviously, <laughs> yeah, I mean, if your eggs have natural in them. I mean, I guess the only place you wouldn't find natural eggs is McDonald's. Yeah. Um, which natural in any label is really meaningless. Yeah. Uh, there's really no set definition. Yeah. Um, but if we're looking for the ideal eggs, for example, um, we want to actually, uh, organic sounds like it would be the best, but uh, what we want to look for is what's called pastured raised. Um, uh, essentially that means the chickens are actually out and about eating their natural diet, uh, which would be, uh, you know, uh, some, some plant material, but also some animal bug material. And that's where if you buy eggs that say vegetarian fed, Right. That sounds like it's a good idea, but right. that's not the natural diet of it's a chicken. Corn, right? uh, it could be corn, corn yeah. Feed or something. yeah, it could be corn feed, it could be soy, which is uh, another whole topic in of itself. Mm -hmm. um, so pastured eggs are ideal. They're not easy to find though. You're not going to be able to go to Giant or Safeway um, or probably even Wegmans and, and find pastured eggs. But you could find organic eggs and that would be like a next step in the right direction. 
Um, cage free and free range are really misleading. Um, they're, all, they're almost to me not really worth that extra price tag. Um, so you know, I would say ideally organic eggs, I, or, or you know, not ideally, but uh, organic at least pasture raised eggs ideally where do you get pastured eggs? Um, where are they available mom's organic market mm-hmm. um which we have one here in Bowie, right. um and they have several other in the state of maryland and i believe virginia they um at least the local buoy one here does uh gather from a local farm uh some pastured eggs uh and i've actually had a client who, who's told me that they have to go uh to to their uh, to to mom's my organic market before i do because i tend to to buy out all the uh, oh, pastured yeah, eggs sure, sure. um so they can get them from there or if if you can find a local farmer that does it you know um that's you know if we can buy from our farmers uh not that i've done that much myself that's you know again that's how we did things um so that would be ideal you actually build a relationship Mm-hmm. Um, same thing with meats. You know, we uh, we hear organic and, and natural. Um, organic meat is definitely a step in the right direction, um, but we want to look for what's it'll either two terms, either grass fed or pasture raised. Again, with with meats, um, and even then that also gets confusing for people. Why we have to make it so confusing is yeah. is beyond me. But we want to look for if it says grass fed, it has to say it doesn't have to, but we want to have it say one hundred percent grass fed. Um, if it only says grass-fed, you might be able to contact the, uh, the manufacturer or you know, the, the distributor and, and find out further, um, or just pasture-raised as well, and you can get that from moms. Um, I've, I think Giant even now sells uh, uh, grass-fed uh, meat, which is awesome. It is from Australia, so if you're an environmentalist, you know right. you have to take into account how far that right. uh, beef has traveled. A lot of fuel. Yeah, um, so the cost of the environment is, is something to take into account. Um, but as far as the cost goes, I mean, I, I you know, uh, budget-wise, we all have to take into account what we can afford. Um, but I do think in society where we have our priorities, you know, I guess everybody has their own priorities, but it's, it's sad that uh, most people's priorities don't always include food near the top. So, you know, someone might have a, a $150 a month cell phone plan, but then they say, well, organic milk is too expensive. So kind of a disconnect there. I mean, again, you know, it's, it's their life, but if we can try to look at food as, uh, as one of the most important things that we um, have in our life, we, I think we should shift our focus toward that. But anyways, so if somebody is you know on a budget, what I say is quality over quantity. If someone's used to, uh, as much as I love eggs, if someone's used to going through three dozen whole eggs a week um, of regular eggs, and now all of a sudden they're hearing Mark say, well, they should get pastured, and that's twice the price, well, cut your eggs back in half. Uh, cut your meat consumption back in half. Um, quality over quantity. Uh, mm-hmm. In America, we're consuming too much, even sometimes of the good stuff. Um, I'd rather uh, personally eat less of uh, grass-fed beef uh, than uh, the same amount of conventional beef. Um, I might be a little bit hungrier, but I'm not going to starve to death. Uh, I'm going to be a whole lot healthier in the long run. So we have to take into account our budget, where we're at with our family. You know, I don't have kids, so my uh, grocery budget doesn't have to be stretched uh, too far. But we still spend a lot of money on groceries. Uh, if I had four kids. I, pr- I would definitely not be able to, you know, shop at mom's uh, every week, um, but I would try my best to find uh, better quality food, mm-hmm. um, even if it is a little bit less of it. Right. How do you react to the criticism that this constantly is a changing thing, that uh, you, you, we've talked uh, about the, the eggs, you know, <clears throat> one week yes, the next week no. 
How do you feel uh, that of someone who would be critical of all the things that you're saying, saying, well, you know, how does he know for sure? Yeah, and, and, uh, and that's kind of actually, um, as much as I'd like to think I know right now, mm-hmm. um, five years ago I was thinking the same thing and my thoughts have changed in five years. Um, and, I, and I think it's good to question people. I don't have a problem with uh, someone asking, well, Mark, you know, I, I heard about this in regards to eggs. Um, but what I have a problem with is if I present the actual the information and even the scientific uh, studies to it that back my claim. Um, so there, there's one instance that, yes, disagreement is good and you should question everybody. I mean, anything I'm saying today... Um, especially if it goes contrary to what someone believes, they should question it. Um, but I also uh, don't want people just arguing without being open to changing right. their mind. Right. And, and sadly, these days, uh, nutrition is kind of moving. You know, talking nutrition is almost one of those taboo topics that you don't talk about yeah. with politics and religion. Exactly, right. Um, I'm at the standpoint now with certain people if I realize that they're not uh, open to new information, I just shut down communication because it's like arguing Republican versus Democrat. Mm-hmm. No one's ever gonna change their mind. Right. I can present the information. Um, I live it personally. Uh, so, you know, I have that going for me as well. I have the blood work for myself that backs it up. I have, you know, the, the amount of uh, studies that I have bookmarked on my computer to support, you know, the whole idea that eggs and beef are actually good for us right. um, is staggering. Um, but yeah, people should be questioning uh, this stuff. I think that's why we're probably in the problem we are in today because we just took it as, okay, well, this expert or Dr. Oz says that this is the only way to do it, so that's what I believe. Well, you know, uh, that's not always not always the case. Right. How do you feel about, um, about SlimFast and Jenny Craig and these, you know, do you feel like they are traditional fad diets or they're only for, you're going to get that weight right back? Do you think that's... Well, um... You know, if, if I was sitting down in front of somebody uh, and they they asked me that question, I wouldn't bash it right away mm-hmm. uh, because they're probably asking me that question because they have some interest in doing it. And if you uh, challenge someone's uh, idea of what they've already kind of decided on, they're going to back away or they're going to shut down. True. Um, but since we're on a podcast here and uh, <laughs> I'm not talking to anybody directly... Um, it, it's it's far from optimal. And right. then you hear people say, well, so-and-so, or even I've lost weight on it. But then usually you look at them and they've either gained the weight back right. um, or, or whatnot. So uh, can someone lose weight on that stuff? Absolutely. Is it um, is it the only way to do it? Not at all. Is it optimal? Very far from it. Um, so, yeah, it's... I'll just leave it at that. It's, right. it's not something I would ever recommend. If, right. if you compare a SlimFast to a, a YooHoo, they're, they're pretty darn similar. Um, so, yeah, I tend to stick to the more the whole foods approach. Right. Um, it's more sustainable in the long term. It just makes more sense uh, from a from a, a evolutionary aspect. Right. Um, it doesn't make the companies as much money. Um, so that message probably won't get out too often uh, from the commercials mm-hmm. and, and stuff like that. There's a... Uh because of I think uh, the documentary Fat Sick and Nearly Dead and certain I would say people in in my group of friends and internet people it's become kind of a a big thing again 
Is it Jack Mullane who did juicing? Uh, yeah, I mean, he was a, a big proponent yeah. of that. He actually had his, or still has his own line of uh, yeah, yeah. you know, uh, juicers, I guess. What do you think about, about juicing? Do you think that it's a good thing to incorporate into a diet, or do you think that it can be done alone like they are saying to do, just, just juice? Or do you think that it's bad altogether? What do you think? Uh, well, again, this is where somebody was sitting in front of me, and they were asking, and th- and they have asked uh, before. I-, I let them, I let people, you know, not that I control people, but I, I let people do what they're gonna want to do. Uh, so if somebody was working with me one on one, and they said, "Hey, I watched this documentary," um, and I was thinking about doing it, I'm not gonna stand there or sit there in front of them and say that's the worst idea to do. Um, it's not gonna work because um, again, they've pretty much already made up their mind they're gonna do it. So what I can do from that aspect is, okay, how can we actually maybe even make it a little bit better? Uh, so we know that uh, fruits and, or hopefully, you know, more vegetables and fruit, but right. vegetables and fruits are awesome for us, um, and we don't consume enough. So if, if juicing uh, gets people to consume more of, of those nutrients, that's good. Um, even myself, because I admitted earlier, I don't eat as many vegetables at times as I want. I've, you know, after watching that documentary, I was even all jazzed up and like, all right, I want to go uh, buy a Vitamix uh, blender that can blend a football. But, uh, right. you know, so I even kind of uh, was hyped up about it. And you see that it worked so well for that guy. Um, it, it can almost be like, wow, this seems so easy that uh, maybe I can do this. Right. Um, but I think we can improve upon it. And I actually had one client uh, that wanted to try it, and I made some suggestions to try to uh, make it a little bit better. And so vegetables and fruits are good for us, uh, but as humans, we need uh, some protein and we need some uh, good fats in our diet. Uh, so I su- suggested, you know, if she was up for it, adding a little bit of protein powder to, to the juice mix. And she was like, yeah, cool, that's no, no problem. Um, so if we can get some protein in there, I think that's going to be uh, better and healthier and more effective mm-hmm. in the long term. Um, so that would probably be one of my, uh, not criticisms, but basically, okay, what is the juicing aspect missing? Um, you know, if someone wants to do, let's say, one juice meal per day with two solid meals, I think that's uh, a, a good approach compared to nothing but juicing Um, because again we're getting into these crazy extremes and and we don't have to go to the extremes so if we can try to maybe incorporate some of the good uh, into that uh, I think that's a a good direction I think the part of the the worry for me when I think about the juicing aspect is isn't there so much to be uh, gotten from the fibrous materials and those pulps and the things that are around the fruits and vegetables, not just the juice. I mean, you're getting the nutrient, the the liquid, and most of that I imagine is probably water. But also what about, you know, the fibrous materials that are ejected? You know, they they, they have recipes for using that, but <laughs> a lot of people I imagine just throw it out. Yeah, it's, um, and that's, I guess, uh, a good question because that's why when I contemplated doing it myself, at least, you know, not completely, but at least incorporating some of it, is I looked into the blender uh, route because if you uh, put the vegetables and fruits into a blender, you you, make, right, you, you, keep. you keep all that fiber, uh, uh, which, you know, I wouldn't say, uh, you know, is good to have. It keeps you fuller longer. It can help with digestion. So if someone was going that direction, um, you know, wanted to try it, maybe they could look into a blender option rather than a juicing option. Um, you know, I, I think from an aspect of, again, eating the whole vegetable or fruit, 
um, it's just going to be ideal. But again, if, if somebody's going to is set on it, uh, try it out. Make sure you're making up for what you're missing, because mm-hmm. uh, as humans, we're not meant to live on just uh, sure. vegetables and you know a set number of vegetables right. and fruits per day. So just try to improve upon it. And you know, if 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 you're concerned about the fiber, look into the blender option rather than the the juicer option. Right. The most recent uh, story that came out maybe a few weeks ago was about the death toll that processed foods are going to cause that we're all going to die, you know, 20 years early if we uh, have bacon and sausage. Well, I mean, and, and uh, what I would, you know, jokingly what I would say is if you never eat those foods, uh, you're probably going to feel like you live forever because it's, it's, a, <laughs> it's a boring existence. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's a recent uh, article that came out saying that uh, some expert committee panel said that uh, bacon and processed meats are, are not fit for human consumption. Um, if you actually look into uh, that article further, um, they, they've kind of exaggerated their claims. And, you know, there are a, a, a lot of studies out there showing that processed meats uh, can lead to health problems. Um, what aspect of those meats, processed meats, is, is causing it, we're not quite sure. They have some ideas. Um, so, you know, I still eat them, certain ones over others. You know, for example, I, I eat pastured organic bacon compared to, let's say, even just the bacon you get at uh, Giant or Safeway. Um, so there's that beneficial aspect that the studies never can take into account is, okay, are we looking at the marks of the world eating this type of bacon or are we looking at the marks dads of the world eating the, the Denny's bacon? Um, so they, can, they can't distinguish between the different quality of that. Um, and then for me, there's a difference between, you know, bacon and, uh, you know, let's say hot dogs, for example, or, um, you know, some of uh, the other processed meats, like deli meats, for example. Um, I still consume bacon. Uh, I, th- I think bacon, for example, is, is fine to have, and the studies that show it does seem to support that you can have a little bit without it being a problem. But these are also the types of studies that can't prove that it's the processed meats themselves. So we have to, again, take into account what type of study it is, but we do have a lot of those studies that are showing them to be problematic. Uh, so I tend to err on the safe side and, and keep the consumption of like uh, you know bacon and sausage on the lower end, but I also I don't exclude them. Because again, if we look at the overall diet, what else is it about the diets that are being problematic? Um, so it's, it's not always just the one component of the diet that we have to look at. It's, it's what does the whole diet encompass? You know, most people who are health conscious might, you know, you know, not might, but they do limit the processed meats and they eat a lot more vegetables and fruits and they um, tend to not smoke and they tend to exercise. Uh, so they have all these other healthy aspects that they're doing that are probably contributing. Whereas most people... Uh, you know, again, we've been told that those are bad. So then there are also the type of people who are eating those foods are also not living an overall healthy lifestyle. Whereas now we have, you know, uh, you know, if you look at the paleo community or low carb community, for example, they're living overall healthy lifestyles um, and they're still consuming these foods. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, how does it turn out? But personally, I'd rather eat a little bit of bacon every single day like I do and live to, you know, 70 or 80 than never having it and live to 90. Mm-hmm. I know that sounds, you know, maybe I'll say a different thing when I'm that age. Right. Um, but, you know, you know, there's that one lady who just came out recently, uh, 105 years old, eats bacon every single day of her life. Then again, we know people who smoke every day of their life right. and they live that long. Right. Um, but, I, you know, for me, 
I don't think there's anything inherently bad with consuming some of those types of processed meats um, on a limited basis, mm -hmm. assuming that we're, uh, our overall diet and lifestyle are um, supportive to healthy activities. What do you think is the number one thing or the number two, the, 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 the few things, whatever, um, that people overlook when they're trying to have a healthy lifestyle? Um, I, I think probably the, one of the biggest mistakes they make, um, and I was guilty of this for years working with people, uh, is saying, okay, you're eating this way, starting tomorrow, next week, we got to change breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and we got to change this, and we got to change that, and we got to start you exercising, we got to uh, do this and do that. And they, they take on too much at once. And while that's, while that's awesome to have somebody very motivated to do that, what um, if you actually look at psychology of change, uh, changing, um, the more we try to change at once, the less uh, successful we are. Um, and that's really hard for us health professionals to wrap our head around because we have someone coming to us who is living an overall unhealthy lifestyle and we want them to be healthy. Right. And especially as trainers, we want them to do everything at once. Right. And then boom, within 10 weeks, my client has lost 20 pounds and they're looking great. And I can say, look at me as a trainer. I'm uh, having these great results, but if we look at it from an individual aspect, very few, very very few people are able to do that. Um, so I think the biggest thing is people uh, should at least consider. I'm not going to say have to, because again, we don't want to be told what to do. Uh, but I think we need to consider focusing on changing one thing at a time. Uh, you know, if someone if someone came to me again, eating fast food six days a week, drinking a 12 pack of regular soda, they were smoking, they're not exercising. I would first ask them, what do you want to change first? If they said, well, I just want to start exercising, that's awesome. Let's start them yeah, there. Right. Um, they don't have to start exercising and stop smoking and give up the sodas because if I said that, I'm not right. going to see them ever again and right. they're probably not going to succeed. So I think the best thing we can do, pick one thing that someone can change that they think they can change too. Um, if, if I have someone who is, uh, let's say, has a lot of bad dietary habits, and they say to me, well, I just can't give up my sodas. I'm not gonna start with asking them to give up their sodas. Um, I want them to be able to change something right. that they feel they can change. Right. That builds motivation and makes us feel like a success. Whereas people say, all right, January 1, I'm gonna work out five days a week, change this, change that. They work out twice and then mm -hmm. like, oh, forget it. I'm a horrible person, right. I'm no good. Right. So probably the biggest thing they can do is, is uh, forget that all or nothing mentality. Right. Um, that example I give at times is, we brush our, or at least hopefully most of us brush our teeth twice a day. Sure. If we miss a time, we don't just wait until Monday or we just don't think we're, <laughs> yeah, start uh, yeah, we don't think we're a bad person. Yeah. We just brush our teeth the next opportunity. Um, and that's happened to me sometimes. Mm -hmm. where, you know, I'll get to work and I'm like, oh, shoot, I didn't brush my teeth. Well, I'm right. not a bad person, uh, obviously, mm -hmm. and I'm not going to just wait till next Monday. But the next chance I get, I'm going to brush my teeth. Right. Same thing with eating and exercising. Right. Um, we don't have to be perfect with this stuff. And again, us trainers at times try to make people think that they have to do this all perfectly uh, mm -hmm. from uh, every single day, um, but we don't have to. This is mirroring a little bit of that goals book. Was it the power of, what is it? The power, it, it, was, a, it was a book that you were mm. talking about. Power, or, um, wow, was it Power of Habit? It's um, Something like that, yeah. The author is Leo Babuta or something. Yeah, um, it, yeah, and it gets down to it. The studies show that uh, if we focus on changing one thing at a time, right. we're around like 85 to 90% successful Still, in doing yeah. it. As right. soon as we try to change two things, it goes down right. to like 20 to 30%, um, which is really crazy when right. you think about it. Um, 
other books on habit change show that uh, this goes beyond just health but it, they tracked people's ability to change uh, their daily habits and on average it took 66 days to change one thing whether that was exercising in the morning or whether that was quitting smoking it, it varied depending upon how tough it was mm-hmm. um, but the uh, you know I say at times I should have majored in psychology rather than exercise yeah, science because yeah. um, really it, it's it, it's so simple to be healthy um, when you actually have the right information right. Um, but it's so hard to make those changes right. and, and finding out how we can actually successfully make those changes right. is diet more important than exercise um, so at times, it, we, we like to have an all or, again, all or nothing, like which one's best. Right. It depends upon what the goal is. If, if someone came to me, 50 pounds overweight, um, and they, uh, let's say they had their, uh, um, a mom with two kids, and she works two jobs, and she's a single mom, she can't get to the gym. If her goal is to lose weight, diet is definitely the most important aspect of, of weight loss. Not just for her, but for people in general. Um, you know, studies show that exercise alone without dietary changes uh, fails uh, to, 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 um, for weight loss. Um, and there's a lot of reasons why that could possibly be. Um, so, yeah, diet is definitely number one when it comes to weight loss. Um, I think it's, you know, even for just health in general, uh, you know, we eat anywhere from three to six times a day. We only typically exercise once a day. Right. So we have a much bigger chance to impact our health through food than exercise now, that's not to say I don't want someone listening thinking, well, Mark says exercise is important for weight loss. Um, diet and exercise combined would be ideal for weight loss. Um, but if, if someone had some kind of reason that they could only, let's say, work out twice a week, you know, the diet is going to be the biggest part of it. Um, if we're talking, again, health, though, exercise, I mean, there's so many benefits of exercise for health. It actually makes me laugh at times that we have to study the benefits of exercise for health or we see this article come out um, because pretty much anything that can be improved health wise exercise will help um, so it really depends upon the right. goal the person's situation um, but diet is definitely underplayed as far as how important it is especially for weight loss right. I get it all the time uh, people are struggling to lose weight they're exercising and I say okay well what are you eating well I'm already eating healthy well, just let me know what you're eating because, right. you know, if you're not reaching your goal and you're already exercising, what else yeah. What else can we do? Well, it's got to be the, the diet. I mean, there could be some hormonal issues, no. but most often than not, what they think is healthy is not always healthy or the right way for fat loss. Right. I feel like we could probably do uh, a whole season of shows <laughs> on this because it's just such a – it's a rabbit hole. It's such a breadth of topics that we can cover, but – I feel like we've we've covered a lot of the things that I wanted to today as far as diet and everything. Do you have a website and, and things where people can um, Yeah, reach I, mean, I, I have a website. It's uh, fitnesscoachmark.com, so fitnesscoachmark.com. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a blog on there. I, I don't update as often as I like. Um, you know, if, if a friend requests me on Facebook, I'm, as you know, I'm always oh, posting sure. uh uh, health-related stuff mm-hmm. on there, uh, just because it's it's quicker and it's easier, and that tends to distract me from actually writing articles. Right, right. Um, so yeah, they can check out my website. Uh, they can find me on Facebook uh, that way. Um, so yeah, yeah. Thanks a lot, Mark. I really appreciate it. Man. Thank you, Greg. Good talk today. Some or all of the music on today's podcast was brought to you by MusicAlley.com. If you liked any of the music, links to the artists and their songs are in the show notes.